let's get started because I, I know that you're busy and don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I met you in 94, but you've been... I've been working since working 92, 92. So, so I've been teaching since March 92, yeah. And you started, you weren't at Palm Court... Now, I started at a nursery school in Valterfrieden Park. I'd never taught karate in my life before. And um, I was studying at Wits Technicon business and I got a phone call one day from a friend of mine who'd been doing karate with me for many years and she was a karate instructor one of the best karate instructors and she was immigrating to Portugal and asked if I would like to um, take over the nursery school and I said to her well I've never taught before but she said um, well it's in two hours a week and it's it's, it's not um, that difficult just you're a black belt to come and try and I literally started from one phone call before that phone call, I'd never considered being a karate instructor even once. Oh, wow. I didn't know So that. never, never once had it. I'd done karate my whole life. I was um, a student and I'd never taught a class. So when Anita left, I took over two nursery schools, one in Valterfrieden Park, one in Walro Park. What were you studying? Well, I was, you... I, was, I was doing business management at Fitz Tech and I'd been in the bank for six months, but I hated it. I really hated it that I volunteered for the army. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the army for a year while the bank paid me, which was worth enduring the pain there. And then when I got out of the army, it was clear to me that I'm not a banker. And my whole life, I'd always wanted to open up my own business. I just didn't know what. And so I went and studied uh, retail business management. So the, the trajectory was that I was going to become a, I don't know, a manager in a, in a shopping, um, in a, uh, like maybe I'd, I'd been offered by Hyperama at that time to become an assistant manager because I'd worked there since I was 14. And that was the trajectory. That's, that's where I was going. Yeah. I mean, in, in everything. And even when I started teaching karate, I mean, that, it never changed. Once I got my national diploma, we, we were offered a few jobs. The story is that while I was teaching karate, I bought a brand new Golf GTI out the box. I mean, I was doing okay. And now it was time to go and get a real job. And I couldn't afford to keep up the payments with a real jobs salary as someone that had just entering the job market. And there was no ways I was going to get rid of my car. So 27 years later, I'm still paying a car off. But... Um, <laughs> But no plans, it's just meant to be. Up until then, I didn't know I was going to be a karate instructor. I didn't know I could teach. I didn't know I had a knack for teaching. I got a little bit better at it. And then um, there was a gym at Palm Court. I approached them and asked them, do you use your aerobics studio in the afternoon? And uh, they said, no. And I said, well, I teach in, in Valtteren Park. I'd like to start a karate club. Can I use it? And they said, yes. And I started with... On the first day, seven students. I remember the number. And that's, we kept those seven students for a while. It never grew. It never, and, and I just kept teaching. That was in 93. So 92, I started at the nursery schools. The beginning of 93, I approached the gym. By 95, the center management came to me and said that the gym was struggling and they need to give up some space. Am I willing to take over um, some of the space? They know we, uh, the karate is doing okay and they would give me a good deal. And without hesitation, without thought, I said yes. And we built our first dojo in 1995 with a traditional wooden floor. I'd never built a wooden floor in my life. We messed it up so badly. I still remember the colors were orange and green. Two colors I'd never mixed together, but it was in the, in the building that we, uh, or the place that we were going to do. And we built, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful dojos. We built it by hand and never ever did cost get into it. We just built what we wanted. I built my dream dojo and the students came. I think Valtafrieden Park was a great area. I don't think there were many karate studios around at that stage. I know that Panorama had a, a JKA club, but it was obviously not a, an actual dojo. It was the school hall. So at the time when we started, Valterfreden Park just blew up. Apparently it was the biggest growing residential area in South mm. Africa. I was in the right place at the right time. I'm under no um, thought that, that I was that good that I could build this the dojo that I have today. Yeah. It, it had a lot of luck involved. A lot of being at the right place at the right time, the dojo just grew exponentially. I mean, we, we, we were very, very lucky. My wife, Zenobia, joined me. Probably in 93, she started taking care of the money because she'd seen that I'm absolutely useless. <laughs> but in 95, I asked her if she would please not get a real job. 
<laughs> and come and help me for a year just to mm. set up. At that time, we'd only been together maybe three or four years. And in 95, she joined the business and took over what I really couldn't do, which was parents and money and the admin. I promised her it would only be for a year or two. 28 years later, she still runs the business. <laughs> so I teach. I focus only on teaching. I don't focus on business at all. I don't focus on money. I don't focus on anything except teaching. My wife focuses on all the problems, all the admin, and that frees me up completely to do what I do. Yeah. And um, if it wasn't that way, I don't think we would have what we have. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of people say that you should work on your weaknesses. But I've read, depending on the philosophy, that you should concentrate on your strengths because your strengths for a reason. And um, if you focus too much on your weaknesses, trying to correct them, your strengths weaken as well so uh, I, th I think I have my own philosophy which is you only have a hundred percent energy you can't have more than a hundred percent energy and focusing on your weaknesses will take away from your strengths I'm not saying you shouldn't focus on your weaknesses but you should also accept that there are things that you're not good at or accept things that you're not meant to be doing in this life and I was lucky enough to meet my partner and I use the word partner because she's in every sense my wife is my partner in yeah. my business in, in, in every sense and who had the skills that I never had. So it was very easy. I could trust her in an area that needs a lot of trust. And um, I could focus. She frees my mind mm. to do what I do. Yeah. I can be creative. I can teach. Teaching, I think, extremely taxing because I teach seven classes a day. I really can't focus on anything else. I can't worry if the business is doing well. I can't focus if this student has paid their fees. I don't want that ever to get into um, my mind mm. so that I treat people differently. Mm. So we have a very good understanding. I don't want to know what's going on as long as I've got a few rand in my wallet. Um, we're okay. I do attribute my ability to teach is because I was able to focus. Yeah. A lot of karate instructors don't have that luxury. Yeah. A lot of business people don't have the luxury to actually do what they do. Yeah. I have a student that's a carpenter and he spends 80% of his time on admin. He, he's lost the passion because he can't do what he's good at or what he was meant to do or what started. So everyone can learn new skills and, and become better at things. I think Richard Branson said, Find the people that are the correct people yeah. to do the job, you know, and, and you can't do everything. No, you can't do everything. I, mean, I think it's important at the start of a business to do a little bit of everything so you know how your business works. But I'm not a, a money person in terms of chasing people to do payments and that kind of thing. Once I am up and running in my own business, I'm going to try and automate that. Well, <laughs> whether, whether by, you know, some kind of computer program or, or somebody else to do it for me. Because that's not... It, it takes, like you say, it takes your focus away from what you're actually good at and what the business is supposed to be doing. It's all consuming. If, if you don't have money, if you don't have, you can't focus on anything. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't have food, you're not going to be focusing on other areas. If you know your money's taken care of and that you have enough to live, it frees you up to, to think about your job at the next level. And ironically, I guess it's passion. I guess it's, it allows you to have passion. Mm. I've always said if you chase money, it runs away. But if you follow passion, money will follow, you know, and, and you want to be comfortable. Money shouldn't be the, all, the only reason. Money should only be a tool so that you can do what you need to do, which yeah. is, in my case, teach properly, you yeah. know, and, and travel overseas and learn. Money only is, I see money only as a tool to do what I do, not as the ends of why I do what I do. Does that make sense? Yes. I think too many people actually chase the money as the the end goal and um, instead of chasing what they, they actually want to do. Like I say, money is a tool to free you to do what you want to do. But it is important, so... <laughs> okay. Well, like um, I said, it's a, it's a need that has to be fulfilled or else you cannot be free to do what you yeah. do. So it's a vicious circle, I guess. The way I started my business was very, very natural. It, it just all fell into place and people hate my philosophy. They what's meant to be is meant to be it's it's not a good business philosophy i'm sure but in my case never ever was it a question of should i do it everything fell into place and to this day uh, i'm so grateful because it was easy people that look from the outside said it wasn't easy because they saw me work hard work harder than the average person but that was easy for me 
Basically, I just stole people's ideas and made them better. <laughs> well, uh, that's, 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 I, don't, I don't think there's much originality left in the world in terms of ideas. So you do have to reinvent other people's ideas and, and adapt them to yourself. You know, take what's useful, ignore the rest. and use Japanese philosophy post-war was copy, improve and miniaturize. So they took what existed, improved on it and made it smaller. That's a whole philosophy on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I accepted that philosophy very early on and because because I had mentors who were successful and because I'd somewhat studied a little bit of business, I chose not to reinvent the wheel. All I did was took what that had worked for them and it was so easy to improve on what they had because I had a starting point. Their end point was my starting point and I could improve so easily on it. And it didn't take me long. We still do some of the things. We still follow some of the principles that I was taught by dojos that came before me. Good and bad. A sound principle. There's a reason why karate's been going so long and there's things you should follow and things you should copy. I don't know. I always think the the person who comes up with an original thought, very seldom the person that actually makes it better. You know, they come up with a thought, that's the starting point, and some other guy comes and makes it what we see today. So originality can be a, a negative because you come up with the idea, unless you can be paid for your idea, someone else is going to come in after you and take your idea and work on it. So I don't know, I've always just thought, start from a, a level that's already been uh, yeah, established yeah. and it's so easy then. In terms of mentors, uh, were those other karate instructors? Did you have anyone from a business so, aspect? Yes, so so the, the dojo that I belong to, which still going uh, just under a different instructor, was also very interesting. It, it was structured as a layman concentrated on the business side. Mm -hmm. They were a partnership and the instructor was a phenomenal instructor. The instructor never got involved with the business and vice versa. The business guy, I learned everything I could from him. But at the same, Zenobia also learned from him and improved on what he'd done. He'd been running it so long here, we were able to see his um, strengths, but he wasn't able to see where he could improve because it was working. So we were able to improve on that. And then the instructor was a creative genius. At the beginning, I did not try and come up with my own classes Mm. and stuff i just used his creativity because i knew it worked i knew i enjoyed the class and if i enjoyed the class and right at the beginning i just used to get a foot into the door and then then my and because he was such a good instructor and creativity was so important to him i started thinking creatively and and teaching creatively and the two of them were definitely the main reason we are successful from that point because we started off from their um, level that they had already established over all the years i'd started with them in 1979 So by 92, when I started teaching, I knew their business to a certain degree and I was getting just old enough to be interested in it. When I was asked to start teaching, it became obviously an obsession. Every time I saw something, I thought I could do it better. (laughs) You know, I'm sure I can do this better. I'm sure it's not that difficult. I mean, we started off with my letterhead and this is not that long ago, 1992. You would type the word karate on a typewriter, then you'd go into Joburg and find the one place that can photostat and enlarge at the same time. So then they'd enlarge it, say, uh, 300%. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a, a size that can fit as a letterhead. You'd bring it back home, you'd cut it with a scissors, <laughs> and you'd paste it on the on the form, and yeah. you'd type around, build your letterhead, and then go back to Joburg, photostat that piece, but then there would be lines where you had stuck it on the ground, and you'd take tipex and use tipex to, and then photostat and that would be your first copy That's of your insane. letterhead. And that, was, that, was, that was not that long ago. Luckily, 93, 94 computers started coming in. I think I got my first computer probably in 93 or 94 and a printer, but nothing that we can do today. And I made sure that my karate logo was better than theirs. Yes. So I literally just worked and worked on i mean i would drive for hours to get the right look and um and that's how we started well i mean branding is such an important part of a business so you do need to spend a don't, don't let it become you know all grudge grudge that's, purchases yes, yeah, marketing yeah. Grudge, <laughs> absolute grudge especially for my wife but i saw the value of it very early on um, how long did it take you to start seeing a profit on all well of straight this? away because i had no costs you must understand i there was no establishment cost the premises were given to me at the nursery schools when I moved across they had given me such preferential rates so I was making money from that this was easy it was simple it was <laughs> you just go I worked a couple of hours a week and yeah. I got money I know this is not how it's meant to be but 
And, and I'm never sure how it happened. I was living at home. I had no real expenses. And the business just grew. And as I said, in 94, before I did my final year, I decided I want to go overseas and travel. And I asked my instructor to teach for me. Zenobia looked after the business. And for six months, I went and traveled the world and or Europe at least. And when I came back, we still had a significant amount of students. And while I was overseas, it was clear to me what I wanted to do and that I wanted to carry on doing this. So I came back very focused. And from 94, I would say by the end of 96, 97, we had a business that we have now. So we reached our potential very, very quickly mm-hmm. um, with the help of my wife. We got married in 1999 and um, the business has always paid for everything that we need. And we've been very comfortable. We know we will never be multimillionaires, but we are comfortable. And um, I, I get to teach four days a week. Sometimes I have to work a fifth, grudgingly these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like this week I have to work six days which I'm not very happy about but um, I teach seven hours a day mm-hmm. I start at two in the afternoon on paper there's no better job on paper there's no better job I I, I just got given everything I, I, I'm okay at uh, teaching I, I, I can teach well, I, I think can... you're better than okay at teaching <laughs> um, and I enjoy martial arts it's my passion mm. most importantly I, I enjoy the relationship I have with my students you know from from a six month relationship to a 28 year relationship where some of the students has been Ryan joined me when he was five years old he's 36 now and still teaches full-time you know so i don't know you can't ask for anything more it's the perfect job (laughs) you're obviously really passionate about what you do where's the line in terms of passion versus what you are good at because a lot of advice these days is kind of like you need to follow your passion but worst advice ever firstly if you follow your passion and you are lucky enough to be successful in, in, in creating a business, it's no longer your passion. It can't be your passion. It has to become a business. Yeah. There are things that are going to now crowd finances, etc., etc. crowd what made it a passion. A passion is something that's freeing, something that you really, really love. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't do your passion. I do my passion for, for a living, but I now have other passions. You know, in my opinion, as I told you, I, I watch quite a few TED Talks and a very young person was discussing why you should not follow your passion as your job. And the reason is, is your passion is going to change. What your passion was when you're in your 20s is not what's anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would hate to, um, I mean, what was my passion when I was 19? Ride motorbikes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, I would hate to be working on motorbikes now at, at 48 years old. But then it was all consuming. So this gentleman says, do something that's valuable. And if you do something well, if you do something that is changing the world, even minutely, you will become passionate about it. Passion should be there, but it's on the wrong side of it. People are are taking their passion and trying to turn it into work. Instead of finding something that's valuable, doing it so well that it becomes your passion, becoming known for it. I don't believe karate was my passion. At the time, it was something I was reasonably good at, but teaching, I had never stood in front of a class. I couldn't give a speech. I'd never taught a class. And I do believe the army had a huge influence on changing my perception of myself. I noticed natural leadership skills when I went to the army, which I'd never seen before. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Like I say, everything just seemed to fall into place. Teaching is my passion. Teaching is what I'm good at. The ability to teach the subject lends itself to my kind of teaching, which means I can be very creative. I'm not stuck on a syllabus and I don't have someone looking over my shoulder, double checking everything I do. So I think today's teachers are, are stuck. They've lost their passion. It's not easy being a teacher when where you are told to teach, you have to have syllabus. And if you don't get through the syllabus, I don't think I could have been a school teacher. The secret is that I found that I'm good at teaching and I found the right subject. And the subject allows me to to be a really, really good teacher. Otherwise, I don't think if I was teaching geography or if I was teaching uh, maths, that I could have the passion that I do. I have a freedom in my teaching. I very seldom plan a class on paper. I'm constantly planning it in my head. (laughs) But the way I teach... I go with the flow. If I feel that this class is going one way and it's beneficial to me and the students, even though it's not what I had planned, I will go with it and then come back. Yeah. not the best way to teach if you're teaching from a trick. And that's why I think we're losing so many good teachers and so many good students because they are stuck. Well, it's all micromanaged 
Um, and it's not just in teaching. Any company you look at, you know, as soon as you've got a, a large number of people trying to achieve something, it becomes micromanaged and it does kill your passion. Like you say, you're a creative mind and you feel that this might be a, a really good way of achieving some sort of target or, or goal and you get told that you can't do it that way, you have to do it this way. It kind of kills your, your momentum and your passion for wanting to, to actually accomplish. Or at least that's what happened to me. I think people focus on numbers. They, they don't focus on people. If you're given the freedom to come up with a better way, to come up with your own way, the stars are the limit. When you're given these borders, this box to work within, how can you ever come up with something new if you've given these limitations? I was never ever limited. And because my first instructor, my second instructor, my first instructor was when I was a child and my second instructor took over from him, was as I said earlier, a creative genius. He's an artist, but more than that, he was a physical genius. His karate was extremely good mm. but he had found a way to teach it that no one else had found and that affected the way I taught so Gojuru is the style that we do it's a very freeing style you're given a lot of freedom mm. there are obviously things we have to do exactly the right way and yeah. that we, we still strive for that but after that once we've achieved that we're given the freedom to research given the freedom to try and work on certain things and focus on certain things and what's nice about that is as I progress in age I have different things I can focus on so if I'm injured, I can focus on philosophy and history and traditions. Mm. If I'm feeling tired, I can read. But if I'm feeling good, I can focus on so many interesting things of karate. Whereas a lot of other karate is only allowed to do this. And that's it. You do not do the research and development. It's done for you and you are told what to do. I don't think I'd still be a martial artist if that was the case. For me. But other people like the structure. They love being told what to do. They like being given limitations and told this is the way and there is no way there is this is the way today but tomorrow it might be different yeah. and if you open to that you're able to see so much more but I think a lot of instructors don't like that because uh, like with I guess with all um, leadership it's easier to lead sheep than it is to lead wolves if I create sheep you need me and the need for me is more important than your progress it becomes a bit of a problem. We chose at Palm Court Karate to develop leaders. That was our goal. Not champions, not top karateka that get the best black belts or anything like that. Our quality was always very important. It's part of it. But we chose to develop leaders. So every time a child starts, my thought is they could be the next person that takes karate into the future. I cannot choose. I cannot say who's going to be the next person. I still can't. Even with someone that's been with me for 20 or 30 years, I can't choose. It's not my choice. It's not my choice mm. if you're going to become the next person that takes karate into the future of Kojuru. I mean, my first instructor I spoke to a while ago and said he would never have thought that I would have been the person. I was part of a very, very talented group throughout the years. I was always mediocre, especially my younger karate career. Mm. I was never close to the top. They were just such talented people in the, my class. And uh, they all got black belt before I did. And it hurt. I mean, it was difficult. But I did continue and I did get my black belt and karate chose me today none of them went past first then none of them do karate anymore and they would have been brilliant karate instructors but mm. in, in karate there's a saying it's not who's right it's who's left yeah. <laughs> and um, so it's not the most talented sometimes it's just persistence and now I take it very seriously that for a short period of time I'll be the person that takes Gojiru into the future of South Africa with yeah. a few colleagues of mine and it's a very very serious job because yeah. if I don't do it properly it will die and now there are people that will slowly starting to show that they will be the people that will do it after I've left but None of those people I would have chosen on the first day or the 10th day or yeah. the 10th the year. So you have to teach each person the same, no matter what their standard is, no matter what their commitment is, because at that time, you don't know if they are going to be the person that's going to take over from you one day because everyone changes. Everybody has the ability to become brilliant at something. You just don't know when. Everyone in their own time. That's very inspirational, Sensei. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been anything in your journey as a karate instructor, a challenge that you faced where 
you weren't sure if things were actually going to work out. You've been quite lucky in terms of how the business has developed and that kind of thing. Has there ever been a point where you've kind of like flipped? I don't know if this is the right path. How did you overcome that challenge? I think I guess feeling like a failure. I've set goals in my head of what I'd like to achieve. Most of this has been ego-driven, wanting to be the best and assuming that I am the best, being very egotistical. And because of my ego, when I failed, it was very, very difficult to accept. I've not failed in the business side of things. We have been very blessed with that. It's been very constant. But in the karate, there has been challenges. You know, when an instructor or a student leaves you, every time be it a white belt or a black belt that's been with you and they leave for different reasons sometimes not very nice reasons it makes you feel like a failure and i've taught thousands and thousands of students majority of them have left yeah Yeah, you know that's how it works you know i took it very personally every time a student left until i became a little bit more mature and realized that my job wasn't to create thousands of karate instructors my job was to prepare these students a little bit better than maybe the schooling system does or their parents do or whatever for the challenges that are coming. Because the dojo is a microcosm of life. The lessons we learn in the dojo are not meant for just self-defense. They're meant to be taken into the world. And when I started seeing my students become good people, when I started seeing them leave karate but still come and visit and tell me what they've achieved that they have sometimes just become really good people that was a success i had a small part in in helping them have good values good morals to people who have become leaders in their fields and who who still say that karate played a part in the, in what they do so even though they don't do karate anymore the the lessons they learned in karate were invaluable to them becoming what they are so now instead of me just creating leaders for future karate instructors Mm. now i try to help create human where other people will see value in you Mm. in my students so instead of me just seeing value in you i now try and create a person that someone's going to see value in them and see that they've got something different they've got persistence Mm. i mean who does something for 15 years anymore 10 or 15 years so if they can say i'm a black belt I've been doing karate for 15 years. What they're not saying is that I'm persistent. I stick things out and when things get tough, um, I'm able to stick with it. And I think creating people who have value to other people, to other corporations, to other human beings, that has now become my major. And once I changed that, I felt less of a failure because now I realized that I was doing a more important job where before it was just to create instructors. It was now to create good people, good, valuable people. And still today, there are people that it's not guaranteed. I mean, none of this is guaranteed. Not every student that goes through our dojo door becomes good people. No, for sure. But I hope they don't become worse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so now that's, what, that's all I really look at is when the, when the person says I'm moving on, I'm very excited to find out where. And, and I, I make it very clear to them to come and visit and to come and talk to me and tell me. So the question was, do I feel, I feel a lot of failure. I feel failure. One of the more difficult things is growing up in karate. Gro- let me rephrase that, growing old in karate. Every day I'm reminded how old I am. Every day I get up, I have to do something physical and I'm reminded that I'm no longer a youngster I'm challenged by oh you're my youngsters that are in their 20s in their peak physical condition and that can make you feel like you are getting worse at this instead of better but I guess with age comes a bit of wisdom and with wisdom um, you start understanding that your your senior students aren't looking for a a 20 year old they're looking for a 48 year old that has something what they don't have what they could become and maybe when they see that I can still do certain things at 48 that's inspirational to them what they don't want to see is if I'm a 48 year old that still acts like a 28 year old I think that defeats the object you have to grow old with your martial art and my goal is touch wood and and, and God willing I'll be um, able to do this for a long time still I did karate for I think 11 or 12 years and well I stopped in probably about 2005 2006 and well now we're in 2019 and I'm sitting in your lounge you know I have taken personally a lot of the lessons I learned in the dojo into my corporate life and well I haven't necessarily applied it consistently but I when when I have it has definitely helped the lessons that I learned in karate about persistence and, and patience has come into play I think um, one of the more important things is and, and some 
something we've we tried very hard to do and and business and corporate doesn't always allow for it is moral business and i think it's going to be a very important thing in the future having morals having running your business the same way you you want to run your own life you know we all everybody has morals some sort of life experiences might change that but we are all deep down good people but when we get into business, we think that we have to be cutthroat. And I, I, I truly believe that the future of good business is going to be moral business, running business for a good reason, yeah. other than the bottom line. Money is such a ridiculous thing to chase. Experience, having something that no one else has, you know, that is valuable. Money is a piece of paper that you'll have today and it won't be there tomorrow. It's numerical, so you can't, can never have enough of it. But it's just this piece of paper, you know? Everybody has it, or, or everybody ha has the opportunity. What they don't have is to have something special, to mm. have an experience in life, to own something really beautiful, to own something that no one else has. This for me is special, to run a business that looks after people's lives, helps mm. them, that makes a difference in the world. This for me is the future. And Palm Court Karate was always run with that moral compass. I always felt that if I did a good job this year in doing something and never rip people off, that they would come back next year and I'd be able to do a similar thing for 15 or 20 years instead of trying to do something only once and getting as much as I can from that once. Yeah. So this was always a long-term thing in my head mm. was that if you do it properly today, if you show value, then next year they'll come back and do it again. But if you try and do something today and try and milk the people, they won't come back next year. So the bottom line has to be looked over many, many years and, and say, right, I've been able to do a tournament for 25 years because that first tournament was run correctly and yeah. we've always followed that. Business and martial arts don't go very well together. Their principles go against each other, especially if you're successful in martial arts mm -hmm. business. Yeah, there's a, a, a big school of thought that you cannot be a serious martial artist and make money out of it. And uh, I can understand that. There are so many lessons we are taught in martial art. Lack of ego, lack of competition, you know, true martial arts, where you're only competing against yourself. That goes against a lot of business principles. And to find the balance where if I want to go tomorrow morning and do this job, I need to be able to live off it. I need to make some money. So where do you draw the line between, between becoming a Mac Dojo, which is a McDonald's Dojo, which is something that makes money and that's its main goal, to having something traditional, something pure, something honorable that makes no money. Perfect Dojo is a small little place that's that's got a wooden floor and just sweat, sweat, sweat. I mean, that's perfect if you're able to afford that. But for me to make a difference in this world, I also have to make money. Yeah, for sure. And so it's always been a dichotomy that I struggled with. And my success in the business size has sometimes taken precedence over my success as a martial artist and being judged by my peers because I'm a successful businessman to a certain degree. I'm not a successful martial artist because the two never should meet. Some of the best karate instructors in the world were good businessmen, either in martial arts or not. And at the same time, people we've never ever heard of were phenomenal martial artists, but they not made a difference. They, they themselves, they never passed on anything. It's a difficult thing. And I've always struggled with that and still do. You know, I still, still do struggle with being a serious martial artist and living off martial arts. Well, I think finding a balance in anything is always going to be a struggle. It's always a constant rebalancing of the, the things you're trying to keep in the air. Or... And you're also never going to make everybody happy. It's impossible. I've got to go to bed at night and feel that I did a good job, that I did not make any person's life worse than it was before they came into the dojo. At the very least, you know, and, and, and then at the very best, I inspired someone or gave them hope or, or gave them an hour to forget about their problems. And then I can put my head down, sleep well and do it again tomorrow. So I worked out when you asked me to do the interview, I thought, you know, I'll just work out how many classes I've taught, <laughs> yeah. you know, because apparently you go off to 10,000 times yes, yeah. and become a master of something, which is rubbish, <laughs> in my opinion. Anyway. It turns out that I've taught 40,000 classes in the last 27 years, which doesn't include seminars and extra classes. Yeah. That's what I do per week. And I couldn't believe it. Mm. And I'm definitely not a master at teaching classes. <laughs> uh, it changes all the time. 
but yeah, you know, you do something. I started off with one, and before you knew it, um, I'm now doing something forty thousand times. I don't think many people can say they've they've done that. Definitely not. <laughs> you know, and if if I'm lucky, I might fit another forty thousand in. You know, there's there's a chance of it. I, I don't think I can do it anymore. I don't have the energy to teach at the level that I that I I have in the past. But I don't care if I double it or not. What I do care is that every class was different to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and every class. I tried my best, but it's very difficult trying your best every class for 40,000 times. Well, sometimes you do phone it in, but, of course, of course. you know, again, it's about balance, I think. As I think you can get... phoning I, it in 90% of the time. I think you can get to the stage where you can fake it, maybe once or twice. I was always told by my other instructor that if you have a bad day, no one else should know about it. And the definition of a professional is performing even when they don't feel like it. So those, those, always, those words always stayed by me. There's no ways that every class that I taught has been a good class, but every bad class was always my fault. It was never the student's fault. We'd go home and we'd say, wow, that class was bad. That class was terrible. Those students just, I don't know what got into them. But if I really analyze it, it was me. I had a bad day. I didn't come in with the right attitude. So I've never taught a bad class because of students. I've only ever taught a bad class because of me. And uh, I don't like it. I hate it. Still to this day, if I go home and I felt that was a bad class, it irks me. I absolutely, absolutely hate giving it. You know, some classes are better than others, always. Sometimes I still get a class where everything just comes together. The energy, everything, the content. And I just blow them away and I blow myself away. And I think, yo, you're so good. And then the next week, just bombs. And I go, oh, you're not as good as you thought you were. Um, <laughs> was... You need those grounding moments. Oh, they often. In karate, they, 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 uh, teaching, you get grounded all the time. You know, a child asks you a question. Now with the internet, you can't lie anymore. Like the old karate instructors could just make something up and you would believe it because there's nowhere to um, go to yeah. double check it. And you'd have to go to Japan and no one was going to Japan, so you could say what you want. Now, for instance, one of the funniest things is our terminology. So now they obviously go to Google Translate and put the words in that we were taught many years ago. And obviously, the words are descriptions. They're not names of things. One of the words for kick is geri, G-E-R-I. And if you put that in, I think you get constipation. <laughs> So now a student will come to me and say, but Gary doesn't mean kick, it means constipation or whatever. It's uh, yeah, yeah. something to do with that. <laughs> and you go, no, it's kick. I'm sure it's kick. And you go, come look here. And then they go, Japanese English translation. They, they type it in and there it comes, constipation. How do you answer that? You know, how, how do you go, well, that pronunciation with that spelling comes yeah. out that way. But if you change it to Gary or whatever yes, it is, yeah. it, it's it, the way you say it means kick as well and it might be in the Okinawan dialect not in the Japanese dialect so many things so we've had to become a lot more educated than we were in the 80s and the 70s (laughs) prior to internet at the same time a lot of BS has come onto the internet I mean just because it's in the internet doesn't mean it's the truth yes you know I'm quite sure that translation's right but when it comes to other stuff um, we've had to be very careful I guess like the medical community where everyone's a doctor now everyone knows everything about martial arts and by its nature Martial arts is a verbal transmission between instructor and students. And that information then is passed on. And if we see what was done in the late 1800s and what we're doing today, it is amazing that only through verbal communication and maybe some written communication, we are still doing something that is somewhat the same. It's, it's, it's a miracle. And if you look at where it comes from, this little dot in the, I think it's the Pacific Ocean, the south of Japan. I mean, Okinawa is so small, yet it created this martial art which has transcended the world. I mean, it's it's brilliant. The Gojuru is from Okinawa. How is that different? How is the Gojuru style different from mainland Japan? So, one word, militaristic. Japanese by their nature, especially pre-war, was an extremely militaristic based country. And Okinawa in itself is a country annexed by the Chinese. For a certain part of their, they've had a very, very difficult history. And the Japanese took over. 
yet they don't have the Japanese mentality exactly the same as the Japanese. The mm. Japanese are absolute perfectionists. The Japanese ask, where must this go? They would show you exactly. The Okinawans will ask, why does it go there? If the person hits you this angle, that is why it goes there, to block. Where the Japanese will go, no, they want it at 90 degree angle, at 50% this, and, and there's a, this perfection. So the different styles came from there. Okinawa is a little bit more free. It, it is a different philosophy to mainland Japan. So styles like JKA worked very, very well in mainland Japan and has become this absolutely brilliant martial art where perfectionism is, is sought. Perfectionism is more important than why. Where I think in Okinawa, and it's my personal view, yeah. you know, I, I might be um, wrong, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but firstly, in Okinawa, you don't stand in lines. Mm. There are no lines. You come in, you bow, and you start working. An instructor might come up to you and help you with something and progress that way. Whereas in Japan, and in South Africa, because obviously we, in the army, in the universities, in the schools, they had to create some structure. They use judo's base. The karate suit is based on the judo suit mm-hmm. and still the worst design ever for karate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it falls off all the time, the belts. I think a true karate instructor, I might have done 40,000 um, classes, but I've tied 5,000 per <laughs> class. So... Um, <laughs> So the only thing a karate instructor is really a master of is tying children's belts. <laughs> it, is, it is the worst design ever. And they had to put people in rows so that they can t- teach 150 in a class, mm. where Okinawa never, ever did that. Okinawa was always small groups. You trained for yourself, and you trained why, not how. I think that's the biggest difference. And we've only really, in the last 15, 20 years, really gotten into the difference between Okinawan and, and, and Japanese karate. It's very, very interesting. By my nature, Okinawa fits very nicely with me. I enjoy going into a dojo, bowing, working on what I need to, having someone come and discuss things with me. Whereas when we do gashkus, it is this, this is being done this way, and yay, and kiai, and very, yeah. very different. In terms of Gojiru, obviously the philosophies are different. Well, philosophy of, of, of Gojiru comes in its name. The name Gojiru means hard and gentle, hard and soft, and then Ru means school. So, yin and yang, it's a huge philosophy. By its nature, it's balance. In one word, Gojiru is balance, the balance between hard and gentle. And what we use that philosophy for is, in, is everything in life, the kind of person you are. And Gojiru is the balance in everything. And uh, yes, I think the interesting thing is that the hard is the easy part and the gentle is the difficult part. Within our karate, from just playing karate part, mm. the most advanced kata we have is a very gentle kata. Whereas the easiest kata is something that is extremely hard and it even says attack and destroy. You know, it, yeah. it's because. I can teach anybody to punch in one minute and to do it reasonably well. But what I can't teach them is to, to handle a situation gently, calmly. That is what, what we strive for. We start off with the hard and through the years as we grow, we, we focus on the gentle. The true master is someone that can handle a tough situation gently. And that is, in essence, hard and gentle, yin and yang, it's balance kind of the crossover between karate philosophy and real world philosophy because those are often the, the lessons you need in in the real world and I think that's if we if we're going to get very philosophical now I think that's the biggest problem in the world today is that everybody wants to fix things you know fight fire with fire instead of looking for a solution that doesn't require everybody to start throwing well fists. I think it's it's an absolute sign of weakness absolute sign of lack of confidence in yourself when you revert to violence first to handle something calmly to handle something gently to err on the side of gentleness takes huge confidence and huge strength in yourself you have to be so confident if you're prepared to handle something gently what people think is that like you say hi if there's fire i need fire i mean we know we need water we know that but no some people don't use fire with fire they use gasoline with fire you know what i mean and it's to me the first sign of weakness the absolute sign of weakness because if i want to control something gently 
I have to be extremely, extremely skilled. And so, yes, posturing, all that is a sign to me of weakness. And we see it in the animal kingdom. A lion lion doesn't have to go around fighting every day. He just walks around. But when he needs to be a lion, he becomes a lion. You know, he doesn't have to show it every day. He sleeps every day. (laughs) And, And because he is absolutely confident in his abilities. And those that are not confident in their abilities have the most posturing. Those are the animals that, that, that make a big noise, that puff themselves up. Because they know when it comes down to it, I can't do this. And I think this is the study of Gojiru, is, is start off, become strong, become so strong, study so much about fighting that you never want to do it. Know so much about the subject. So I find it difficult sometimes that I personally don't like fighting. I, I'm not a fighter, but I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a another dichotomy that I have. I, I don't like conflict. I hate conflict. I always want to try and, and sort the problem out in a very gentle manner. But I've spent my life learning how to fight. And the more I learn how to fight, the less I want to do it. The more I know about conflict, about war, the more I hate it. So I've now found myself in a subject and a job and a passion that I really, it's strange, I don't like it. I don't want to be a fighter anymore. I have the ability to do it and I have the ability to do it reasonably well compared to the average person. So you're good at something, but you don't like it. It's a very strange the more I study about the history of war, the, the more I look at pain and, and the more I hate it. So now how do I continue in this martial art uh, and continue studying what I'm studying, which in essence comes down to fighting, yet I don't believe in it. I don't believe in fighting and sorting your problems out like that. Anyway, that is, that is, that is uh, my problem. <laughs> I'll let, you, I'll let you know in 20 years if, 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 I'm, if I'm back to conflict again. But when I was younger, it was easy. I mean, I was full of testosterone, a lot of ego. And uh, yeah, I think if you came back to the dojo, I'd hope you, you would see a difference in me as a human being compared to the person you remembered. Yeah, so ego, I think martial arts by its nature is fighting against your own ego and spending years and years trying not to let ego control your decisions and as you get older it does get a little bit easier and sometimes not knowing that ego is the reason you made a decision I think that's the most dangerous when you make a decision uh, uh, ego driven and then you just realize later that it was a bad decision and you made it because of your ego I've never stopped learning and not formal learning either I've just read all the time and I can whatever I can get my hands on and you know TED talks and all that kind of thing and the more I learn the less I realize that I actually know and you kind of go down that rabbit hole of let me learn something about this and then you realize that you actually have no idea what you're doing the the more you study about it I just think there is no one answer And I think today the answer is this and tomorrow you can change your mind. I have given myself the freedom to change my mind. I do not believe in anything wholeheartedly because tomorrow my mind might change or my thoughts might change, my experiences might change. So just because I believe in something today, just because I have learned something today, I do not now allow that to control. I allow it to be a natural part of my life and if another side of it comes in and that I never considered or an experience happens to me that changes my thought. I I try and allow for that. I'm not a black and white person. There's shades of grey and I don't believe anyone's truly evil. There's good in them and I don't believe anyone's truly good. There there is not just two sides and and I have have a lot of conversations with people who see the world in black and white. There is no half measure. This is my thought on this and I'm not considering any other side of the story because these are my beliefs and I'm not like that. I've never been. Yeah, I change my philosophies on things quite often. You know, I think it comes down to the philosophy of flow and allowing things to happen and believing that the right thing will happen if you are open to it and if you are aware. I believe in sensitivity, not being just a sensitive person, but being sensitive to what's going on around you and seeing that there are dangers, but at the same time, there are huge opportunities. And because I try and be sensitive and because martial arts and Gojiru, in a sense, is teaching you to be sensitive. You are able to take on opportunities that you never would. And because you're prepared to listen to other people's point of view, I'm trying my best not to mix with like-minded people anymore. I really enjoy mixing and chatting with people who have opposing views to me. I find much more value in 
chatting with people who see the world differently to me than to those that see the world the same as me. I find no value in, in, in kindred spirit because... Mm we see the world the same. I like spending time with them, but I'm talking about serious conversation and not getting cross because they see the world differently to me. And hopefully they don't get cross when I see the world and really having robust conversations about the world. That's where I am now. That's the, I, I, I seek out people that are different to me, yeah. that see the world differently to me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a saying, I think um, it goes something along the line of you, you start to grow where your comfort zone ends. And you need to challenge your own beliefs and your comfort zone in order to, to grow. So I am very cognizant of your time. Five quick questions. What does the first hour of your day look like? Coffee. <laughs> um, spend time with my daughter. I, unfortunately, the job does have some negatives yeah. in the sense that by the time I get home, she's asleep. Usually some physical activity either going to the dojo or uh, gym or run or something and then uh, 15 minutes quieter every day it's not enough but um, I do try my best do you meditate or is it just preparing yourself for the day uh, when you say quiet time I guess someone would call it meditation okay um, I have my own place where it's quiet where I feel that that I can listen mm. and I can I can just be quiet. I think we're not quiet enough and uh, therefore we're not hearing things. <laughs> but that can be taken out of context. <laughs> I try every day spend 15 minutes quieter. What happens in that time I'm not in control of. Sometimes mostly it's, it's, it's thinking about things and uh, sometimes it's thinking about nothing. I try that that time is a time that I'm grateful that I'm still here. Not always but but if there was one thing that I want to focus on during the quiet time is, is being grateful. Okay. Sometimes I'm thinking about what I'm going to work on or, what, or sometimes I'm completely, my mind is so busy that mm. that 15 minutes is not enough. But uh, I, I do advocate a bit of, of yeah. quiet time. I meditate in the morning, try and do between 10 and 20 minutes. And I definitely find the mornings that I skip, I can definitely feel how it impacts the rest of my day. There's that good saying, hey? Uh, everyone should meditate for 20 minutes a day unless you don't have time then you should meditate for an hour yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> not mine I struggle with the word meditation to me what I know of it it's, it's very structured it's very disciplined and I'm, I'm not by now people will realize yes, I'm yeah. probably not the most disciplined person in an industry that requires lots of discipline once again <laughs> another dichotomy in where, where, as I said I, I can't live without it it's, but I call it quiet time and yeah. I just call it my time and, um, and, and, and it's probably the most important part of my day. Cool. What do you do when you're not doing karate? We were discussing a bit earlier about um, other hobbies. My hobby is having hobbies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a very, very average woodworker. I like riding motorbikes. I mm. ride off-road motorbikes and these are my stress relief. Uh, mm -hmm. This is what takes my mind off karate, mm -hmm. takes my mind off what I do for a living. There are times that I don't want to think about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You must understand that when you're at this level and you've been doing it for so long, I dream about karate. Well, all my instructors know that the majority of classes I come up with were done so in the shower. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you are constantly, constantly doing martial arts you're mm. constantly doing moves in your head to the point that sometimes in shopping centers you're walking and your hands are moving around and people must think that you're the weirdest person <laughs> but you're always in your head so I've made a conscious effort to do things that take me away from it that I cannot think of karate that I cannot think of martial arts and and I find that woodworking helps me a lot with my martial arts and then riding motorbike especially the way we do it which is quite taxing helps me in a different way. Yeah. So even though they're there to take me away from my martial arts, both of them have a huge impact on my martial arts. How would you define success? Definitely not with your bank account. Definitely not with what you've accumulated. So I'm now defining what I, I don't. Um, I, I, I think, think it's the two worst, sides of the same coin. So. Yeah, I, I, I think the easy answer is being happy and I think that's absolute rubbish because we can't be happy without being sad. So how do I define someone else that is successful? Mm -hmm. Interesting. If someone is interesting to me, I think they, they, they're successful. I found some of the most interesting people in the weirdest places and some of the most boring people in uh, what, what would be considered successful. They are the most boring people. So yes, uh, in one word, interesting. 
if, if you can be interesting, you're successful. If you have someone that helps other people or that thinks of others first, which automatically makes you interesting these yes, days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where the obsession is not me, 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 but everything. You know, there's obviously, it's a, you have to be me, me, me to a certain degree. But when that's all that matters, when you make decisions only with how it affects you and have no idea how your decisions affect other people. So yeah, I, 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 success to me is interesting, helpful people. What do you rely on for continued learning? You mentioned when I spoke to you uh, last week, you, you said that you just recently found TED Talks. Do you rely on specific websites, any kind of books, mixing with people, with philosophies different from yours? You find education in people so, you interact with as well. So as a martial artist, you're brought up to believe that you must find this master and the master will give you the answers to everything. And every movie we ever watched as a child had the student and the master and the master had the answer on philosophy, religion, everything, yeah. art, everything you yeah. needed. You could find one person and you would get everything you want from this one person. And very early on in my life, I realized that this one person doesn't exist. There is no one person that can teach you everything. Yeah. There is no one person that can give you what you need. The only person is you and you need to research and you need to find mentors. You need to find teachers in different areas of your life that you're interested in. And they can't always be the same person or the same way. So there are times when all I want to do is devour books. Mm -hmm. I have a library of martial arts books mm. and sometimes I just can't get enough of them. Usually when my body's tired, my mind's okay. Then there are times when I do not want to see a book, don't want to study. I find that my physical research is doing very well at that time. Very seldom do I study from other karate people. I study from other subjects. I'm very interested in education at the moment. I'm trying to see, am I following things that have no value anymore in this world. Just because my sensei did it and his sensei did it and he's... Yeah, I, I, I love listening to other interesting people talk about their lives. And I'm always looking for calm people, people that are calm, that have found calmness. Maybe, maybe I'd like to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> what is success? Um, someone that's found the ability to be calm. Uh, <laughs> and, and just like I said earlier, um, I might change it by the end of the talk, there might okay. be something else. Um, but yes, calm people are really inspirational. They're really, really extremely interesting. How the hell did they get it? To be so calm, to be such a calm energy. That is what I'd like to be yeah. one day, is, is calm. Especially in the face of adversity. But, but if you can't do it in the face of normality, how are you going to even start doing it when, 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 I mean, just the way I'm talking now is everything but calm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always learning. I'm always trying to learn from others. And that's difficult when you're a teacher because a teacher sometimes thinks their only job in life is to teach. And um, we judge other teachers very harshly. So unless they're really, really good, um, <laughs> we're not prepared to learn from them. Yeah. And that's sad because we can learn a lot from yeah. uh, simple people. Simple people. I'd like to change my answer again. <laughs> <laughs> Simplicity. I'm messing things up. I'm just joking. Um, yeah, being simple, living a simple, calm life. Last question, and then I will release you back into the wild. If you could impart one piece of advice on how to be successful in business or life in general, what would it be? Don't compare yourself to others. It's impossible. You're always going to be found wanting somewhere, and you're always going to think you're better than. You really are so that would that would be the, the guiding thing uh, we use others as guidelines I guess but when we are obsessed with measuring our success on someone else's success it's ridiculous we don't know the path they've walked the skills they've been given and the opportunities they were given and the talent they were blessed with or cursed with depends mm. on which way you look at it so that would be the the biggest thing is, is do it right do it where you feel good about yourself in mm. the night and things will work out and they might not work out financially but they will work out going to bed with what other people think is successful. I don't know. I just don't think that success should be measured at all. Why measure success? I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, I'm successful today. Today I had a good day. But tomorrow I might not be successful in my day. Measure moments. And I think if we measure moments, successful moments and maybe not successful moments, we'll probably find that if we can be a little bit more successful than not successful, we're okay. We're doing all right. Today was okay. Today was a bad day, but tomorrow might not be. The other day I asked my students, do they know someone that is an absolute failure? 
I'd like you to name a failure for me. Someone who you would consider absolute failure. And no one could. No one could. Not failure in areas of their lives, an absolute, what we would call an absolute loser. And I asked that over many classes and many people. No one could identify an absolute loser. And going with that philosophy on the other side of the coin, can you identify someone that is absolutely successful? Successful in all parts of life, in family, in love, in, in philosophy, in moral, in business, in mm-hmm. being a good person. So I don't think uh, you cannot be absolutely successful and you cannot be an absolute failure. It's impossible to be both. I mean, it's such a silly thing to measure. You cannot be successful because it's impossible in every walk of life. And you cannot be a failure in every walk of life. Find the balance in between somewhere. Maybe you'll die where people will remember you as you made a difference in my life or mm. you, that thing you did for me once, I remember you for that because no one's going to ask the other stuff. So true. Well, thank you, Sensei Mario. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit and talk with me. I have found this invaluable and I'm sure that anyone that is going to listen on the podcast is going to find a lot of value in it as well. I didn't think I have anything valuable to offer from a business point of view because I don't really consider myself a good businessman, but in other stuff, maybe. There's a lot of philosophy that you've shared that can be applied to business, I think. Well, to life. And then business is just that small little part that you do when you're not doing life. (laughs) I guess that's a good deal. Instead of spending... What do you do if that if your work is just what you do? It's Very pretty sad. sad, you know. Uh, there's so much more. The reason I work is so that I can live. For sure. Well, that's why I've left the corporate world. Uh, where can people get hold of you? You've got a website. You're on Facebook. I have uh, Palm Court Karate Center. Co. And uh, I don't know what the Facebook is. It's, it's there. <laughs> I'll find it. It's and I'll there. Put it in the show and, notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pop round. Well, thanks so much, Sensei. It's been most enlightening and I've really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for uh, the opportunity. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.